It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. to the Saturday show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well. If Michelle doesn't uh, kill herself in the first 30 <laughs> seconds of the show, I think we'll be all right. Uh, yeah, I had a mishap with the <laughs> headphones. <laughs> that was funny, actually. Uh, but I hope you all are doing well, Michelle. What's up? How are you? Uh, outside of the headphone situation, <laughs> yeah. not bad. <laughs> Good. That's what we like to hear. Uh, we've got two producers today. we got Sarah and Jason producing for us today. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. That was a little bit of a morbid start. Come on. We need a morbid start. You immediately go if Michelle doesn't try to kill herself. Well, <laughs> you <laughs> know. Go. It was just funny. But <sighs> more funny than anything else. But we're going to have some fun on today's show. Oh, yeah. um, we have gonna, Here's the thing. We've got two different topics kind of kind of laying parallel tracks. We've got the NBA offseason. Mm-hmm. we got the NBA draft is in the books now. We'll talk about the Utah Jazz, who they drafted. But then on the other side, college sports refuses to like, go, go to like offseason mode. Oh, there's no such thing as off-season mode in college sports. I've talked with a couple of coaches up at Utah, Mm -hmm. um, and especially now with the way recruiting is, like there, there just really is no off-season. Uh, and that's actually an interesting topic of conversation. Yeah. Uh, are we are we going to eventually burn burn out our college coaches and staff to to the point Mm -hmm. where? uh, you can't hire anybody to do that job anymore. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what ultimately uh, will transpire on that front. Because you're right, they're they're on all the time. It feels like anymore. The month of July and even then is questionable of how much downtime you get in that month. Even that's traditionally kind of been the one month you've had for time off. But uh, you have media days for the conferences. It's it's insanity. But nonetheless, I hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning up and down the Wasatch Front or wherever you're tuning in from on the KSL Sports app. Uh, as we typically do, let's start the uh, show by looking back at everybody's week. Uh, Sarah, you want to start us today? What was the highlight of your week? Um, I don't even I don't even know. Probably sports for Pac-12 wrapping up. That sounds bad. But um, <laughs> I get it. I The World Series. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to like be on call for the next game to happen, which is kind of nice. And my sure. evenings are a little freer. Yeah. So it's probably the highlight of my week. I have I have more free time. You get a whole like month and a half off, and then it's back to Pac-12 soccer and everything. Yep, right? yeah. And even media day is coming up. Oh, yeah. So there's there's still things happening, but it's not not as much. Okay, hey, that's positive. Michelle? Um. Nothing really too big of note. I, I'll go ahead and so this was actually something that happened last week. So 
uh, in March, we had to put my brother's dog down. I Uh-oh. called him my fur nephew. And he was so That's sweet sad. and so cute. Yeah. Um, I, and my mom, of all people, ended up missing that dog <laughs> more than anybody. Don't you love that? Yeah. I know. So funny. So funny. Not even her dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she went and rescued a sweet little girl. And okay. her name's Scout. All right. And she's so cute. And so it's Scout and Boo Radley. Scout it, and Boo Radley. I, I can dig that. From yeah, To Kill yeah, a Mockingbird, yeah. That, that, there you go. That works out actually just fine. But uh, so funny story about that. My father-in-law, uh, they ha- when I met my wife, they had two dogs. And they ended up, uh, both of them ended up passed. And they were like, you know what? We're done with dogs for a yeah. while. Well, uh, about six months ago, uh, my mother-in-law was like, you know what? I want a dog. We're gonna die. And my father-in-law, he's always like, I want a dog. You know who takes care of that thing more than anybody else in the entire world? My father-in-law. Father-in-law. Oh yeah. 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 It's always the one that doesn't want the dog <laughs> that ends up getting attached to the dog. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, Jason, what was the highlight of your week, sir? Welcome. By the way, officially, everybody, welcome Jason to the staff. He's new, so welcome to the staff, Jason. How are you, sir? Uh, well, the highlight of my week, um, being a Wizards fan, was how awesome it is to be a Wizards fan. And I say that with my tongue as deeply into my cheek as I can possibly get it. <laughs> a lot of moves. Bradley Bill, obviously, off to Phoenix. Kristaps uh, Porzingis to Boston. And essentially, they got like nothing back in return, it feels like. They got Jordan Poole, I guess, in that deal for CP3, but... Yeah, if if you can call Jordan Poole a, a good return, sure. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's the top return, I guess, of all of the moves. So, All right, uh, highlight of my week real quick uh, before we dive into the actual meat and potatoes portion of today's show would have been uh, probably the fact that uh, my – so my kids are outside kids. They love being outside. Love that. They can spend every minute of every hour they're awake outside, uh, but they <laughs> – uh, we set up a little place where they can play in our basement, mm-hmm. and they have definitely made it their own. They've got like their own little like cove they've they've created. It's Aww. absolutely like insane like to look at because you're like that makes no sense, but it works for them. So they've kind of created their own little space, and uh, obviously it's getting a little warmer outside. And they like to play outside, like I said, but they've found a nice little niche in our house where they just hang out. So. That's good because, yeah. you know, winter's coming. Oh, well, you know, six months away. But nonetheless, <laughs> it's it's just I, – I we were me and my wife, we were talking about, like, you know what? Let's see, see how they do with it. And like I said, it makes no sense to me. they got stuff, like, everywhere it feels like. Mm-hmm. But they it works for them. So well, they're, I mean, they're making do with what they got. Everybody needs their own little space. Yep, no doubt. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the NBA dress. Let, let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. (laughs) All right, the NBA draft is in the books. Uh, 
Obviously, Victor Wimbanyama goes number one overall, as we all expected. He's going to uh, make San Antonio an instant contender. Maybe. We'll see what happens. I'm interested to see uh, where things ultimately shake out for him uh, down there in San Antonio. Uh, But the bigger story, obviously, here locally, Michelle, was the three picks the Utah Jazz had. and There's a lot of conversation. The Jazz rumors out there saying the Jazz are trying to move up. They're going to package picks and try and make a move to get the guy that they want. Well, in all honesty players that they were linked to throughout most of the pre-draft process kind of fell to them in a way. They took all three of their picks right where they originally had them at 9, 16, 28, and I felt like they got three pretty solid players, and they addressed a lot of needs. Uh, obviously, Taylor Hendricks, uh, he, w- he was the first pick at number 9 overall. A forward out of UCF, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's the first draft pick in UCF basketball history. So, Whoa. Yeah, uh, so pretty impressive stuff. a little stuff. surprising. Yeah, history for him. Uh, he is considered to be kind of your prototypical four in uh, this day and age of basketball. Uh, ability to shoot the three at a high clip. He's got the ability to stretch the floor, rebound at a high level. But more importantly, and this is one thing I think the Jazz value, under at least under what, way, the way I understand it under Danny Age, the ability to defend multiple positions. And that's this is a guy, he's probably going to play the four spot for BYU. So uh, BYU. BYU. Wow, that was random. <laughs> BYU's but, going to yeah, the pros. Yeah, BYU's going to the pros. No, but uh, <laughs> for the Jazz, you could probably have Walker Kessler at the five, obviously, defending the rim. Then you put Lowry Markin in, where you play him at the three, who's nearly seven feet tall, by the way, in his own right, where he's a seven-footer on the wing who already can shoot it. And then you slot in Taylor Hendricks to that four spot. And I know that we're playing more with positionless basketball than we ever have before. There's no longer... You're a power forward. You're a center. Like, that, that stuff, those designations have kind of gone away. Mm-hmm. But this guy seems to fit into that hole where it allows Lowry Markin to play his natural position of three, which is a huge advantage for the Jazz. Having him at seven foot playing on the wing is a phenomenal advantage position-wise for the Jazz. And Hendricks' ability, it looks like on paper at least, should slot in very nicely and make a very big front line for the Utah Jazz. We're talking size, mm-hmm. something the Jazz have lacked under the Quinn Snyder regime, you think about it, they had very small lineups f- felt like against other teams. Something I think Danny Ainge has made a very concerted effort with this Jazz squad is to go out and make sure that they have that positional size that gives them an advantage for once. I mean, it It seems like there was a minute where the NBA kind of went a little bit smaller. Um, sure. And, and now it kind of seems like, yeah, we're seeing it go back to mm-hmm. – we're looking at size and so I I think you kind of have to go with the times and it sounds like that's been addressed well and that that's the thing about it is they they addressed that and then also there were a lot of people out there saying well the Jazz need to go and get like Cam Whitmore he he fell in the draft to number 20 to Houston and he was considered to be in some people's eyes a top five pick uh, apparently there were concerns over his him interviewing in the pre-draft process, some medical concerns as well that caused him to fall. And I remember <laughs> at 9 and 16, I'm watching social media, and just, Whitmore, Whitmore, because Whitmore on paper offers everything you want. 6'7", 230 pounds, just a chiseled frame, and is a pretty elite athlete. But the Jazz opted to go with Taylor Hendricks, and I think bet on the upside of a guy like that. And then they, with their second pick in the in the first round, they go with Keontae George, who is a six four point guard. And the the thought was the Jazz needed a ball handling guard. They need somebody mm-hmm. that can run the offense. And that's what Keontae George's kind of rep is. He obviously, if you watched him at Baylor, he had issues with turnovers at times, but 
it comes with the experience. All, by the way, all these draft picks for the Jazz, 19 years old. Bryce Sensabaugh, who we'll talk about here in a minute, uh, number 28. Uh, they're all 19. They're all very young. They're one-and-done guys. They went one year in college and now in the NBA playing for the Utah Jazz. Babies. So, th- yes, very <laughs> much so. That, that's the thing about this is it's crazy to consider how young these guys are. But we had Andy Bailey on DJ and PK yesterday. He's a guy, a regular guest of ours, works for Bleacher Report. And he said that the Jazz aren't necessarily expected to contend right away right now. So you can yeah. take swings on some of these younger guys and see how they pan out. I'm, a, I'm of the opinion, my personal thought is I think that they've hit with Taylor Hendricks. I think Hendricks is probably going to be a guy who's in the rotation at minimum uh, come the start of the season in October. I do have questions about Keontae George immediately being capable of running, like being the starter at point guard, I think he eventually takes over that. Now, Bryce Sensabaugh, who they took at number 28, to me, he is kind of the new era of score first guards. Mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson, you think, think of these guys who their rep is offense. Sensabaugh is a six foot six, 235-pound walking bucket, is the way I described him when I, <laughs> when I was talking on social media with people, because he, he, he knows how to put the ball in the hoop. And there, there's, a, there's a value to that. Totally. The, the question will be for a guy like that in particular, I think that's also similar for Keontae George, is how quickly can they assimilate to playing high-level defense within what the Jazz want them to do? Well, and uh, as we mentioned off-air, yeah. like that, that's what the G League's for. You you send them off, yeah. try and develop them, especially especially if they're 19 years old. I didn't realize that all three of them were they're young so, so, so yeah. young. They are young, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and I mean... When you consider that in some in some cases they're playing against or going to be expected to play against you know men that mm-hmm. are mid twenties into their thirties, I mean there there's a big difference. Um, sure. In mature like maturity, body, mental, you know, all all that good stuff from when you're 19 to, yeah. you know, kind kind of the point that I think we start seeing guys being superstars in the league. Yeah. Um. So I uh, again that that's kind of in in my estimation what the G League's for and Utah has a good one. Well yes. Um, that the, they can kind of draw from. Yeah, Steve Wojcikowski, the former Marquette uh, coach, the Duke legend will be leading that Stars team and uh, it'll be interesting to see like if a guy like Bryce Sensabaugh spends time with the Stars cuz you're right. The 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 track record for the Stars has been very good. Ochai Abaji last year. He started the year with the Jazz main lineup and frankly was an abject failure. Just he, <laughs> he looked he looked lost. Yeah. And now uh he is an older player. Let's also let's also say that. He is an older player. He was the most uh, valuable player in the final four and Abaji was 22 years old. Like when he was drafted by the Jazz. So he's by NBA draft standards, he was a dinosaur when the Jazz brought him in. But he needed time and he went down to the Stars and got extra minutes, got trained up by Scott Morrison and the staff down there with the Stars. And then when he came back over to the main lineup with the Jazz, Abaji looked like a completely different player and became, I think, a guy that the Jazz are very much going to plan on being a part of their core for the foreseeable future. That's the question about guys like Bryce Sensabaugh in particular, because you took him so late in the first round. Now, we do know that Nikola Jokic went number 41. By the way, do, uh, I don't know if you watched the draft on, on Thursday. That number 41 pick, you know how it was the Taco Bell commercial is the famous thing for Nikola Jokic when he was drafted? Yeah. Well, they made very clear that they were going to air the f- number 41 pick on live TV. They they did not <laughs> cut the commercial when that pick came around. It, was, it made me chuckle. I, was, I don't know if I think it was necessarily planned that way, but it's just kind of funny that way. But also guys like Jimmy Butler taking 30th overall. Mm-hmm. So you can find high-level players oh, at different absolutely. points in the draft. I just think with Sensabaugh, his rep is he is 
all offense all the time. Can he now morph himself, get into better shape, and use his physical gifts? He's 6'6", 235. In another universe, another parallel universe, he's probably a tight end yeah. in the NFL. Like He's got that type of a body. Now can he use that and obviously use those physical tools to become a better player defensively, which I think is going to lend itself to him playing more hoop? No. I, I mean, you know, once you kind of get to this point, like, I mean, we, we've we talked about, like, Gobert being a bit of yeah. a liability on defense and, and some offense. of that. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, offense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. Defensive player of the year. Wow. <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> we've both had our gaps this morning Oh, well, you know, you know, BYU's yeah. going pro. Yeah. Hey. It's, it's not the Big 12. They're that's, going that's pro. The, that's the dream. <laughs> wow, this has gone off the rails. Um Anyway, like I, there's just an expectation once you reach this level mm-hmm. that you can kind of do both things reasonably well. Now, some are more successful than others. Sure. Go bear. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> um, put the work in. That's the thing about it. But but I I think you look for guys that have especially if you're the Utah Jazz cuz you're not necessarily always going to get like the top toppiest of the top guys mm-hmm. uh you have you have to have an eye for development so yeah you look for the guy with the bod that okay like let's let's work on some of the stuff between the ears see if he gets it correct yeah and then move him over um that that that's just i think kind of what this team's going to have to do and it's kind of what they have done and they've had success with it now uh, i i want to ask you about this When it comes to the situation locally with the college programs, I had a question posited to me on my podcast this week by a listener about, okay, Jake, Dylan Jones at Weber State is probably the most NBA-ready guy because he actually withdrew his name from this draft. A lot of people thought he might go in the second round to come back to Weber State for another year. The question was posited to me about BYU, but I'm going to send this out to Utah and have you weigh in on this, Michelle. Is there a player or players on either the BYU, Utah State, or Utah rosters right now that you think in the near-term future, let's say two to three years, I guess is the longest range we'll look at, that you think are NBA guys? Like, do, do the local programs have NBA talent? Because the, the, the question kind of comes, the top seven picks in this draft, only two of them, no, the top eight, no, top seven, only two of them went to college. Two of them came from overseas. Two from o- overtime elite, the the pro league that's down in Atlanta, the the Thompson Twins. So there are other means of guys getting to the pro ranks. Scoot Henderson was with the G League Ignite. Like, is college going to go more by the wayside here? And are the local programs going to have quote unquote NBA talents? So, question to you, Michelle: Does Utah on their roster right now, in your mind, in the relatively near future, have somebody you think is NBA caliber? Well, I mean. I've talked about this quite a bit, actually. I think college hoops is in a place where it's kind of self-destructing, really. In some uh, ways. In some ways. Um, just because you do have it set up that anybody that's even reasonably good is out the door within a year. Uh, and then you add in the transfer portal and guys you know, feeling like they deserve more playing time or Mm -hmm. they want to go to a team that's more likely to win a championship or has better NIL opportunities. So it's just really hard for teams, I think, to get good talent, keep good talent (laughs) and build team chemistry. Um, But with that being said, you know, looking specifically at Utah, I think Brandon Carlson 
He's the most natural one that I think everybody points to. Potentially. I mean, he ought, he was another one that put his name in the pool, mm-hmm. withdrew it um, to come back another year. I, I think he needs to do some work in the weight room still. Um, he's a little lean. He's a little little twiggy. Um, <laughs> twiggy? I've never even heard that term. I like that, though. Yeah. Uh, it works. You know, yeah. I, so I I think there's some development there, but he has he has some real potential, I think. Mm-hmm. He's a good player, um, and he's fun to watch. A little unusual. You don't usually see a guy that big be able to hit the three terribly but well. That's what this new age of the NBA is asking. Exactly. Um, so, so I think he has tools to work with, and I think that's why he went back to Utah, actually. I, I think he... Got some sage advice from people within the NBA ranks that mm-hmm. said, "Hey, you could you could come out, but it's probably not going to work out this go around. Go back and uh, you know work on X, Y, and Z over the next year, and come see us again for 2024." Now, when, so when I talked about this, I, I looked at it and said, "The player I think the BYU like next level talent." And, the other thing, I'll get to this in a second. The player I think has next-level talent for BYU isn't actually on their roster right now. Mm. He's currently in the mission field. Okay, yeah. Colin Chandler. And mm-hmm. there are questions about, is Chandler ultimately ever going to enroll at BYU? So he's currently signed with the Cougars, so yeah. we'll see. But he's the guy, if you were to ask me, okay, and that's what I was like, the guy that I think, he's not even on their roster right now. Yeah. Because what I saw from Colin Chandler in the high school ranks is that he is a next-level talent. He has got the ability to attack inside-out as a guard. He's got a nice frame on him. He's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, somewhere in there. So by NBA standards, he's still a little bit on the small side. Mm-hmm. I know that's crazy to think that a 6'4 guard might not be might not be big enough for the NBA, right. but he had the ability to attack inside-out and be a three-level scorer. And will that translate to college basketball? Will that translate to the NBA? I don't know, but the, the track record of what the players he played against in high school and he succeeded against they're NBA talents in their own right. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the funny thing about it. It's like, yeah, there's a guy I think for BYU, but he's not actually playing for the Cougars right, right now. Right, right. Now, the other thing I brought up, and you brought this up right before we went on air, is that with College Hoop, the transfer portal is just kind of, it, it's like the you, you shake the box up and toss the pieces on the, on the table, and you're like, all right, what pieces we got? And you kind of mm-hmm. gather what you got. But you don't know yeah. who's going to stand out. And that's the thing about this. I look at each of these rosters locally with all the transfer portal additions in and out, and you're like, well, that seems like an intriguing guy, but how do they ultimately fit in with their squad? Are they the actual talent you think they are? That's the big question mark now. You kind of say that the college basketball might be self-destructing or like killing its own, killing itself. That's part of it. Is It's hard to identify, it feels like, guys who are like, okay, that seems intriguing, but until you actually see them on the court, you can't necessarily make a, a true read. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's kind of where Utah's at. This roster, for the most part, is very different than what it was last year. And last year, it was very, very different than what it was the year before. So it sometimes is hard, I think, to get a gauge of, you know, what these guys are going to look like. And, you know, are they going to gel in a way to where you get a good idea mm-hmm. uh, whether or not this is an NBA talent or not? You know, I'm there's potentially guys on on Utah's roster that just came in that I can't really make a judgment call on at the moment. I don't know. Sure. Um and to make it harder still uh 
you know, if if they don't stick around for like another year to where I can watch them, if they go end up going someplace else, yeah. you know, it, it just gets really hard to kind of know. Uh, but as far as, you know, someone that I do have some familiarity with because he's been around for a little bit, it's Brandon Carlson. Sure. Does anyone else arise to be determined? We'll we'll find out here sooner than sooner than I think some some of us would all like to think. Well, and I, I think that's a, that's a good point you make is that you're all going to have to kind of wait and see what's happening. Like I look at what BYU added in particular to their roster, and I, I'm like, okay, intriguing player there, intriguing, but. I want to see them fit in first off with BYU and see how they do. Mm-hmm. And that that's the question. Okay, how are they going to fit in first off with this program? And then will their talent or their skill set, will it transcend what they're doing here in college where NBA scouts all of a sudden are like, hey, that's a guy. Yeah, we like we like that guy. That guy is intriguing. So let's, let's go scout that guy. That, and see, that's going to be the interesting part of where things kind of land. And it may come that the Utes and the Cougars do have a guy or two that emerge, but we're not going to know till what next February at least, <laughs> at least I I would think yeah just, it's it's just it's just where we are where we are at mm-hmm. and I think specifically here in the state of Utah, um, basketball is just kind of fallen away a little bit. It's in flux. There's big. There's no doubt about that because people want to identify with these teams, but they don't know who's playing yeah. really. Yeah. It I it makes it hard. It makes it hard. I I you know it's not it's not even like five years ago or Correct. six years ago when like you saw like Kyle Kuzma and Jakob Pertl and you're like yep mm-hmm. those are NBA guys. It's just it's harder now. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right. Uh, more to come on this. We'll also, uh, we're going to dig into the Mountain West, uh, essentially telling San Diego State, oh, no, you did uh, tell us you're leaving. <laughs> uh, we'll dig into that. And also, the, the Pac-12 made a move uh, at the top of their food chain that I think slipped under the radar. Yeah. We'll talk about that as well. we got plenty to come. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Jay Catch, Michelle Bodkin along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Hope you all are doing well. Please welcome in now Jason Beatty. He is the UCF beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel and Orlando Sports. Jason, thank you for taking some time this morning. Absolutely. I'm glad to be on the show with you guys. All right, uh, we brought you on because uh, Taylor Hendricks, uh, drafted by the Utah Jazz with the ninth overall selection, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I read this uh, as the draft was unfolding. Is he the first and only draft pick out of UCF's men's basketball program in their history? Uh, not the first and only, but he's the first and only first-round draft pick. Got it, okay. 
Uh, he's the third all time. Uh, the last was um, 2009, but uh, and then another one in the 70s. So he's the third all time, but he's the first ever one and done. He's the first ever first round pick, uh, first lottery pick, all of the above. So he's definitely uh, one of the most notable for sure. So tell me a little bit about Taylor Hendricks. People around here seem very excited to get him. I've seen and read that he's very athletic, uh, maybe one of the more athletic guys in this year's draft. You know, what What do you think he's going to bring to the table for the Utah Jazz? Yeah, I think he, he really fits what the modern NBA has become. Um, you know, he, he's lengthy, athletic, um, you know, really – moves well for his size um and he's the ultimate three and d player so he can go down the offensive court create his own shot shoot the three and and run back and get a block on the other end um you know he, he was one of the only players in college basketball last season with like 50 plus threes 50 plus blocks uh you know a bunch of rebounds and, and he can really play you know anywhere you need need him on defense and on the other side of the court um, you know, he can he can shoot the ball really well and he can drive to the hole and take it to the rim and, and dunk. I mean he had the he was around the rim a lot last season for UCF, uh, but he extended the floor really well for them uh around the perimeter. So he's just a really athletic guy. Um, you know, he's obviously coming from a school like UCF, you know, the American Athletic Conference is a good basketball conference with Houston in it and uh, you know, Memphis and a couple other top teams, but um, you know, certainly he didn't play you know, for a school like a Duke or, or, or you know, a blue blood program like that. But, um, you know, his athleticism is really what makes him different. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he was on full display throughout the season for UCF. Now, the rep on him, you mentioned, is a 3 and D guy, but I, in most people's eyes, they feel like he can expand his repertoire to become a true uh, modern four in the NBA. And I think the biggest thing the Utah Jazz value in, in this case is a guy who can defend multiple positions. He's 6'9", 210 pounds. Uh, is he a guy, in your mind, that's capable of defending every position on the court, or is he going to be limited in some way defensively? Yeah, I think certainly he can defend you know the 3 through the 5. Um, you know, I, I think... Obviously, I don't think you'd want him, uh, you know, covering small guards and whatnot. I mean, if you get the mismatch, that that'd be great too. But mm-hmm. um, you know, he he was all over the court on defense for UCF. I mean, he's not um, you know a, a big bulky guy, um, but obviously, as he develops and, and and puts on muscle, he'll be able to add to his strength and his physicality. Um, but yeah, UCF used him all over the court on defense last season. You mentioned he maybe needs to put on some muscle. He's 19 years old. How quickly do you think he will be effective for Utah? Yeah, no, I think he'll be able to, um, you know, be an impact right away for them. Um, you know, obviously Utah has someone like Walker Kessler um, and, and it has talent around the team, obviously. Um, but I think Taylor, you know, as he grows into his body, you mentioned he's only 19 years old. Um, you know, I, I read that he he got asked what's his earliest NBA draft memory, and he mentioned Bam Adebayo getting picked in 2017. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that, that sounds so recent for us, but yeah. that was seven years ago when he was 12 years old. Oh, so gosh. that's just how young he is, and that's what's most amazing about this is, um, you know, really there's, there's so much upside. You know, I think he's one of the guys in the draft with a lot of upside and a lot of athleticism. 
Jason Beatty joining us, UCF Knights beat reporter for Orlando Sports and the Orlando Sentinel joining us here on The Zone. And uh, you talk about him. He's a guy who is, if I'm not mistaken, born and raised in Florida, born in Fort Lauderdale, if I'm not mistaken, won three state titles in high school there and then spends the one season at UCF. Uh, How do you think he'll adjust making the cross-country move out here to the mountains of Utah? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, You know, I, I didn't know exactly where he would land I figured he'd get drafted somewhere in that seven to ten range. Uh, you know, obviously, I think the Orlando Magic it would have been it would have been a really cool story to see him sure. remain in Orlando. But um, you know, for him to go out to Utah will be interesting. Um, I think it's a you know a great move, and I think he's going to really enjoy uh, that part of the country. But you mentioned that he's from South Florida. He won. Uh, multiple state titles down at Calvary Christian Academy in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and he really wasn't, I mean, he was a four-star recruit, but, um, you know, he, he was, you know, just inside the top 100 for his class. I mean, he was not supposed to be UCF's first ever one and done. <laughs> um, and that speaks to his, you know, athleticism and, and they, Johnny Dawkins and his staff did a great job of putting him in the right spots for him to make plays. And he really developed, uh, you know, as the season went on into a legit NBA prospect. And of course, uh, you know, that's what Utah's getting in him. I feel like Florida and Utah have uh, something else kind of in common coming up here really quick, actually. Uh, what is the excitement level in Orlando for the move to the big 12? Yeah, it's, it's as close as we've been to the July one uh, but the last two years since UCF accepted the invitation to the Big 12 Conference, uh, you know, there's there's a special buzz on campus and around the UCF community for sure. Um, you know, this is something that UCF has been working for for such a long time to get this invite to join a Power 5 conference. Uh, you know, of course, you mentioned at BYU, of course, uh, one of the new schools as well, along with Cincinnati and Houston, but um, no, they're through the roof. I mean, this is this is a, a major milestone uh, not just for the athletics department, but for the university as a whole, and uh, they're really excited to you know to start Big Twelve play. Uh, that, that brings up an interesting question I had for you. It's like Johnny Dawkins is a pretty big name in basketball circles, and the 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 Big Twelve itself, the football obviously is the driving factor in a lot of this when it comes to conference realignment. But basketball in the Big Twelve is going to be a huge, huge deal because, in my eyes, and I think most people's eyes, it's going to be the premier basketball conference in the college ranks uh, for years to come. Uh, how do you think Coach Dawkins goes about uh, keeping UCF competitive? Because I think we got a similar circumstance out here with BYU looking at Mark Pope and thinking, okay, how are they really going to compete? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think, you know, you think of the Big 12 as the top basketball conference for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and I think UCF fans automatically think, okay, UCF, you know, really didn't dominate the America Athletic Conference in their time in the conference. You know, they did make the NCAA tournament in 2019. Of course, we all know about how they almost upset Duke in the second round with Taco Fall and Aubrey Dawkins and B.J. Taylor. But, um, you know, when you get to the Big 12, you don't have to win the league to make the NCAA tournament. You don't even have to finish in third or fourth or fifth. I mean, as long as you don't come in, like, the bottom third of the league, you should be able to make the NCAA tournament. And, and in the American, it was really, you know, you have to win the conference or have an extremely strong non-conference showing. So, you know, I'm not saying UCF's going to accept me, you know, being mediocre or, or you know, just going to go with what happens in the Big 12. They obviously want to win the league and, and be competitive sooner than later. But um, I think it definitely is a, you know, a reality check 
but also it's it's a different standard. Um, you know, the, the Big 12 is competitive, and just because you even if even if you finish in a 500 league record, you know, you're probably in a good chance of making it for the tournament, which is something that doesn't happen often at UCF. One of the things I'm most excited about is seeing how everybody kind of adjusts to this move. I got a front row seat to Utah moving. Um, that's the beat that I'm actually on. Interestingly enough, BYU, all all three of their coaches that are kind of in charge of making calls, the head coach, the offensive Speaking coordinator, of and the defensive coordinator all were with Utah when they actually originally moved to the Pac-12. What is UCF kind of doing football-wise, athletic department-wise to prepare for this move? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn, of course, is the head coach for UCF football, and he actually recently handed off play calling to a new offensive coordinator that UCF hired. Um, the previous offensive coordinator, who was the quarterback's coach, Chip Lindsey, actually didn't call plays. Uh, Gus Malzahn had called plays for UCF the first two years in Orlando, and that was something he, he stopped doing it at near the end of his time in Auburn. He wanted to call plays again. And actually, when he was introduced, he said he would call plays for the rest of his career. So it kind of was an interesting twist when he gave up play calling again. And he did that really so he could focus on NIL and recruiting and become more of a CEO role for the football program. So Darren Henshaw was uh, actually a UCF quarterback, uh, holds a bunch of records. And, uh, you know, he's actually – you know, now the offensive coordinator calling the plays. Uh, but the athletics department as a whole, um, you know, they, they've done uh, different stops with fans. Um, they used to have something called the Charge On Tour, where the coaches would go around the state of Florida uh, to different locations in the state. But this year they actually went national and they had a, they called it the Night Nation celebration. They went to Atlanta, to New York City. Um, the main UCF collective is doing other events throughout the country as well. So, um, they have a lot planned, and I think they're just really excited to, for July 1 to arrive. Now, uh, out here in Utah, obviously, a lot of BYU fans are excited for this move, and they're having like a week-long celebration in the lead-up to this. Uh, they're having, I think, they're, they're having like a big party on July 1. They're having like a, they, you know, Midnight Madness like for basketball. They're having essentially right. like a, a Big 12 Madness on Friday night down That's there in Provo funny. to celebrate <laughs> this. Is that going to be the same type of a deal that UCF? Are they having like a, a series of events leading up to July 1? Yeah, you know, I mentioned the Night Nation celebration yeah. in Atlanta and New York, and, and they have a, they're have they actually doing a downtown Orlando party Got it. Okay. Uh, in August. But um, I, I haven't seen any plans really for, you know, uh, you know, going into midnight July 1 or anything like that. I do know there were some fans that put together a block party near campus. Um, but officially, UCF hasn't really – I mean, the Night Nation celebration is yeah. that exactly what it is. Um, you know, they went, they decided to go national as opposed to hyper local. But um, yeah, I think you know, regardless, you know, fans are excited. And, uh, I think they're, you know, the, I think for a large portion of the fan base, they've already felt like they're, you know, in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, even though July one is officially when they become mm -hmm. members of the Big Twelve, they've certainly acted like Power Five fans for quite some time. Which which programs within UCF do you think are most ready to compete and maybe win some things in the Big 12? Yeah, you know, of course, I think UCF's top athletics team is, is the football program. It's a football school. I think anyone can, uh, you know, would agree with that, of course. Um, 
you know, it'd be interesting to see what UCF can do year one in football. Um, you know, I think making a bowl game year one would be great. You know, Gus Malzahn truly believes, I mean, he doesn't just say this to say it. He truly believes that they can win the Big 12 Conference, uh, you know, sooner than later. But, you know, beyond football, of course, um, I actually would say softball. You know, Sydney Ball Malone, the program she's built, uh, you know, they hosted a Super Regional um, two years ago this past season. They made the NCAA tournament again for the third year in a row. Um, you know, they've, they've added some key pieces in the, in the transfer portal, and they have a player in Jada Cody who's, you know, one of the best hitters in all of college softball. Um, I, I would say softball, you know, certainly in their non-conference, they've played a handful of Big 12 teams the last few years under Ball Malone and have won a majority of those games. So, um, you know, of course they ran into Oklahoma, uh, you know, they didn't host the Super Regional, my bad. They hosted a regional last year. They ran into Oklahoma in the Super Regional last year as a 16th seed. But, um, you know, certainly I think softball is one of the better sports that, you know, could could win right away. Jason Beattie joining us, Big 12, uh, not Big 12, UCF beat writer <laughs> for the Orlando Sun. I'm going to cover the Big 12 as well along the way. Uh, but I wanted to also ask you, in terms of – UCF getting ready for the Big 12. The chatter I have seen online, and UCF fans are very vocal, and I love it. I love the interaction the few times I've kind of <laughs> ventured into that realm. But there is talk down there, and I, this is me reading from thousands of miles away out here in Utah. USF announced that they are going to build a new on-campus stadium, and there's some talk that it may ultimately, if conference realignments comes back around, where they may see themselves get uh, pulled into the Big 12 to team with UCF. How would UCF fans respond to that if their their <laughs> conference rivals, the war on I-4, if USF were a member of the Big 12 alongside them? Well, I think if you ask 50% of the fan base, they would say, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think the other half of the fan base says, you know, yes, absolutely. The, you know, I think these two programs love to hate each other. Um, and, and whether or not they want to admit it, I think – um, you know, let me put it this way. I think USF picked a really bad time to be bad at football. Um, yeah. And that's just sure. kind of, sure. that's kind of unlucky for them. Um, you know, if they have been a more competent football program, we all know football drives all of this conference realignment, as you mentioned earlier, you know, certainly I think the big 12 would have loved to add the one as for Rickett Stewart's conference. Um, you know, obviously it's not the most historic, uh, college football, uh, rivalry, but it certainly had its moments. You know, 2017 Warren I-4 was one of the best football games uh, of the season that year. Um, and in all of their sports, it's always competitive. I mean, UCF certainly has dominated the rivalry in recent years and whatnot through various sports, especially football. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if USF could actually build its on-campus stadium and, and, and really get its act together in football. You know, Alex Golish is the head coach there former UCF offensive coordinator mm-hmm. under Josh Heifel's down Tennessee. Um, you know, if they can get that going and actually show commitment to facilities, to fundraising, um, certainly it would make a lot of sense down the line for the Big 12 to invite USF and, and continue that rivalry once again as conference mates. But um, I think there's a lot of UCF fans 
that could listen to this interview later and say, what the heck is he talking about? No way, Jose. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but that's the rivalry. That's, that's yeah. what I said before. They love to hate each other. Well, here's the thing. It's one of my favorite rivalry names in all of college sports, the War on I-4. It's like the perfect name for it, but it's, it's really fun. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to track it. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you more as, truthfully, the, the Big 12 comes to Central Florida and also to BYU, Jason. Appreciate you carving out some time for us here in Salt Lake City. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, there you go, Jason Beatty, uh, UCF beat reporter for Orlando Sports and the Orlando Sentinel. And here's the thing, USF, he's right. They picked a really, really bad yeah. time to be bad at football because, honestly, had they been any sort of decent, there's a decent chance that, uh, like, Houston's like, okay, that's nice, Houston, but there's this USF squad over here because it would bring a nice rivalry into that conference. Yeah, uh, well, and I, uh, as you were asking yeah. that question, I was uh, thinking about when we had BJ Daniels on sure. yeah, yeah, la- yeah. last year, uh-huh. and I think we asked him a similar question, and yeah, like that, <laughs> they don't get along. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I do know that USF is is putting in a lot of work mm-hmm. uh, to to improve in a lot sure. of different areas, and the facilities are one of them, and. It's it's an interesting case. I I know a lot of people like to make fun of USF, but to be honest, if they can get it together, they could be a problem. Well, it's it's a desirable thing. place. Like who doesn't want to hang out in Tampa? I was gonna say Orlando and Tampa would be two really like good locations recruiting. Tampa especially because it's right there on yeah. the water. And and, that. and that's my thing. Well, okay, our resident Tampa resident our resident Tampa native Sarah is a big fan of that. Yes, love Tampa. Big fan. Such a pretty city. Very underrated. I've never been to Tampa. I've been to like pretty much every other city, big city in Florida. Never been to Tampa. I need to make it there someday. Yeah, well, when you go, let me know. I'll let you know where to go. The little little taste of it I got in like the 24 hours that I I was there there actually visiting BJ, Uh Uh, it it was cool. It's it's a place I wouldn't mind going back and maybe spending a little bit more time uh, and checking out. I've never been that way. But, yeah, it was really pretty. Very green, actually. Oh, yes. I miss it. I mean, right now it's been pretty green here, but yeah. greener than normal. But it's, say, it's but, a different uh, type of green, though. That's a different yes. type That's of green. tropical green versus, say, like, forest green. Come on. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we got, we got, we got a little different environment. I'll, give, I'll give Utah a little credit, but, yes, Florida green. Tampa Green is very different. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, we will come back on the other side. We'll get to technical fouls, wrap up hour one of the program that's coming up next right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show. As you heard, it's time now for technical fouls. And uh, it, it, here's the thing. This this segment is always fun. And by the way, I didn't know that this segment is as old as it is. I, did I tell you about this? Jake Scott told me that he was doing this way back when, when he was uh, early on in his radio career. That's, that's going back almost two decades. Jeez. So it's been around for way, a Way to call out Jake Scott. Uh, Jake doesn't <laughs> mind. He calls me out all the time. What are you talking about? Sarah Sarah knows all about that. Yeah, he's... He's known to call out multiple people. He's got, he, 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 let's put it this way. Love Jake to death. I've worked with him essentially the entire time I've done radio. Absolutely love the dude. 
but he does take his swipes. There's no doubt about that. Oh, but he can take it too. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. If you dish it back, he'll, oh, come on. he'll be classy. Have you it. heard him with PK? <laughs> it's three hours of Jake just being on the defensive the entire time. Oh, man. It's crazy. It sounds but. like quite the boxing match. Oh, it, it is. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, Sarah, I want to start with yours because you mentioned this in the break. I did not know about this story, so explain what's going on here. Okay. I don't know all the information, but there is a tennis match going on. And okay. l- uh, let me see if I can pronounce her name right. So it's Emma Radicanu. Sure. Good we'll job. Go, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, is about to put in a serve okay. and this little kid is sitting up in the stands and it's dead silent and he goes emma will you marry me and everyone just bursts out laughing she turns around and like waves at him and smiles and the little kid is just like beaming Aww. it was so funny and i was like hey shoot your shot and he was pretty young so it was kind of funny he's already you know he's gonna grow up to be to be quite Quite a quite yeah. a man, ladies yeah. man, yeah, hey, ladies man. You're right. T- shoot your shots. See, see what happens. Interesting. All right. Funny story. All right. That's pretty good though. Like the idea to do that because let's put it this way: not very many people can get away with something like that. No. Yeah. But, no. Hey. There, there, there's a certain point where that goes from being cute, really cute, <laughs> to, to like really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Michelle, what do you got for us this week? Okay. So we're keeping it a little more local. Well, this is, if you were going to go with this one, I was going to go with it, honestly. Um, I had two, I had teed up. So go ahead. Yeah. So uh, earlier this week, I was having a nice evening and actually Jake. Sorry, you ru- sorry I ruined it for you. Jake texts me and goes, there's something going on with Cam Rising potentially. Have you, have you seen it? And I'm like, what? No. Like, what do you mean there's something potentially going on? I'm the technical foul. Yes. No, it's actually not you. Um, so I, he's like, go. It, it, it sounds like maybe there's an issue with his recovery from mm-hmm. his AC, ACL surgery. Um, someone on Twitter is posting it and people are talking about it. Yes. So I was like, okay, let me go find this. Found the account. Mm-hmm. Found myself doing a, uh, I don't know, this doesn't seem like a legit person, but hey, let's poke around a little bit. This is like 8.30 at mm-hmm. night. Like, this is quitting time, guys. Oh, yeah. Like, if there's not a game, like, I don't want to be doing stuff. <laughs> sure. Um, turns out, obviously, not accurate. Just a troll account, making stuff up, causing problems. Uh, but the best part was the next morning, Cam Rising apparently was made aware of what happened or saw it on his Twitter feed. I don't know what happened exactly there. Um, And had the best GIF response. And uh, this thing has blown up. It's just a GIF of someone saying, oh, really? (laughs) It's Nicolas, not Nicolas Cage. It's it's from a Marvel movie with Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Oh, really? It's the perfect response, honestly. Uh, but, I mean, this tweet now has 297 retweets, 3,038 likes, mm-hmm. uh, and has been seen by 638,000 people. Very nice. <laughs> so, uh, very funny. But uh, it's just kind of one of those situations. Don't put fake information out there. Like, it mm-hmm. just... The players don't want to deal with it. You end up making other people have to go to work at inconvenient yeah. times oh, because yeah. it could, I mean, there might potentially be something there. Uh, it's just really rude and inconsiderate all the way around. Sorry, I ruined your night. <laughs> no, but he, that wasn't you. 
it wasn't know, your fault, but, though. But he, but he did handle it the right way. Oh, he it, totally did. A little, a little tongue-in-cheek humor. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely. All right, I got a quick one. It comes on two different fronts from MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. He is no stranger to being called out in this segment. Uh, <laughs> he, here's the thing. He, he, he ripped. Oakland Athletics fans, they had what they called their reversed boycott where they actually showed up in mass, like 28,000 people showed up for an Oakland Athletics game uh, with the idea of stopping the team from moving to Las Vegas. Right. Well, he, is, right. <laughs> he says that the one big turnout by Oakland Athletics man doesn't, quote, change a decade worth of inaction, unquote. And then he also said this. Uh, he said he was taken out of context when he sarcastically praised the 28,000, nearly 28,000 fans by saying they were almost, quote, Almost an average Major League Baseball crowd this season. Like he, he, he is getting himself in all kinds of headlines that way. But then he follows that up later this this past week, Michelle, by saying that uh, telling Time Magazine that if he were to go back and do it over again, he probably wouldn't have taken the immunity deal off the table for Houston Astros players and their sign stealing scandal. No kidding, dude. <laughs> like. He's talking about both sides of his mouth. He's ripping one fan base, but then he's like, well, I'm going to curry some favor by saying that I'm going to make all the other MLB fans. I probably should have punished those players. No kidding. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I mean, his comments about the athletics, kind of not wrong. Well, yeah, and he's standing up for an owner who he works for, obviously, and but I, I can get why people came off like, Wow, can you sound a little more insensitive? Yeah, well, you sh- shouldn't have added the other parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I I get where he's coming from on that. Like, if you guys really cared, then you would have been showing up the whole time. Their owner sucks, though. I will say that. That yeah, it, it's been a whole thing. I I know this. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Poor Oakland. Yeah. Can't, can't keep anybody. <laughs> well, yeah, following the owner's meeting, he says, I, th- I mean, it was great to see those fans. I think it's great to see, to see an almost average Major League Baseball crowd in the facility for one night. That's a great thing, unquote. Like, it's, it was such like a pat on the head <laughs> thing. But then he says, he says he tells time this, quote, I'm not sure I would have approached it with giving players immunity. Once we gave players immunity, it put you in a box as to what you exactly can do in terms of punishment. No kidding. Yeah. Hey, um, I can speak freely and not have any repercussions. Yeah, okay, I'll tell you exactly what was going on here. And so, yeah, I don't know. Way to go, Manfred. <laughs> uh, I, I don't get it, but you're right. He is doing his job because he is a commissioner. He works for the owners. Like, his job is to take these arrows or shots at him so the other 30 owners in MLB don't have to worry about it yeah. necessarily. All right. Anyways, that was good. That was good stuff. the The tennis one, I had no idea that actually. I know, happened. I funny. never saw that. Now I'm gonna have to go find it. It's yeah. on Sports Center's Instagram. Okay, Aww. I'll have to go look at it. No doubt. All right, uh, we will come back on the other side. Uh, we're gonna dive into two topics in the college sports realm. Uh, one involving the Mountain West Conference and the Pac-12 potentially, and one obviously impacting the Pac-12 directly at the top of their food chain. We'll get to all that next. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone.
Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jake Hatch, along for the ride. Hour two of the program underway here. If you miss any part of the show, by the way, you can go on our podcast feed and download, listen to any part of it. We pull out the interviews and that type of stuff and post them separate. But full show hours, full show, you can check it all out. So uh, appreciate all of your guys' support. All right, Michelle, let's talk a little college athletics in a way. Football obviously is the driving factor in all of this, but... Uh, which we want to start off? You want to start Pac-12 or you want to start with the Mountain West? I mean, it more or less all it comes goes together. to the same yeah. place. So sure. Wh- whichever. Okay, let's start in chronological order then. So uh, San Diego State sent a letter to the Mountain West Conference, uh, according to the reports, June 13th, mm-hmm. saying, hey, uh, we are going to resign our position with the conference, and we're uh, but we're looking for a month-long extension to due to, quote, unforeseen circumstances. Right. Hi, Pac-12. Figure out your media rights still. <laughs> but the Mountain West took that as, all right, you're out. Yeah, you you are for sure leaving. Then uh, uh, Adela De La Torre, who is the president of San Diego State, sends a follow-up letter saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not leaving quite yet. We were just asking, you know, for an extra four or five weeks, essentially, to figure out what we're doing. Well, the Mountain West essentially fired back and said, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, we're, we're not negotiating on this. Because they, they also said that, yeah, can we negotiate the buyout, $17 million? Well, we, we just made you guys $10 million in future payments from the NCAA tournament. We're not going to see. So consider that. And they're also going to take their media rights share, which is supposed to be paid out here pretty quickly as well. There's a lot of stuff there coming into this. Okay, so let's start off with this, Michelle. Is the Mountain West uh, being vindictive in a way? Because I think they're just doing what they're supposed to do, honestly. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any vindictiveness there, at least from what I can kind of gather. I I think you know, this is just kind of how it goes. There there's a negotiating mm-hmm. process when things like this come up, and there might there might be a little back and forth on it, uh and a little pushback from both sides to to see, you know, who can maybe sure. inch a little more. Yeah. Uh but at least in the here and now, it doesn't Feel nasty and contentious. I know some want to maybe read into it that way, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how this goes. Sure. Well, and okay, to your point, I think that both sides are going to come to the negotiating table and figure out some arrangement. Because at this point, when you send a letter like that. You're out. Like you're you're moving on. And the Mountain West, they they've done this before, where San Diego State was going to go to the Big East, and then mm-hmm. they voted to let them come back. Yeah, that could still be on the table should things not work out. But all the rumors out there say that San Diego State is target number one for the Pac-12 should they expand. And whether that's with SMU, whether it's them coming in on their own, is, is that their replacement for a team that may like Colorado? The reports that they may jump to the Big Twelve because they were all of those come down to that San Diego State is fully anticipating being a member of the Pac-12. And I think that's part of why they made the move that they moved because they want made the move that they did because they want to just get out ahead of it. They want to say, Mountain West, let's talk about this. And they're kind of putting some pressure on the Pac-12 as well to say, <laughs> hey, uh, can you figure that out real quick and let it, let us know where, where, where we stand? But at the same time, if I'm if I'm looking at this objectively, could this blow up in San Diego State's face? I mean, there there's always potential, right? It's yeah. kind of it's kind of the same as yes, it was a really big deal that the Pac-12 came 
came to an agreement on the grant of rights, but is there room for something to go still go wrong? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not it's not over till it's over. And yeah. and that's kind of, you know, the the place that I think San Diego State's in. Um like yeah, it's it's smart to kind of start feeling this out. I it it feels like they maybe went about it in a little bit of a clumsy way. Sure. Uh, and, and I think they could have maybe been a little more careful about how they presented that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, the the short answer, though, is yes. I mean, there there is room. Will it blow up in their face? I don't think so. I think this will end out end up working out fine but yes the the short answer is yes there there's always room for something to go wrong and again especially where you maybe fumble fumbled the delivery a little bit well and that's going to be the interesting part is how quickly can this all get resolved because this adds a whole nother layer to the ongoing situation with the pac-12 because we're all just sitting here kind of waiting idly by being like hey y'all gonna make a move and uh, we'll we'll see where it ultimately comes out I think that for San Diego State to ask for that month-long extension, I think indicates to me personally, they think that the Pac-12 is going to wrap things up here pretty quick. You and I have talked on this program multiple times. I thought that June 30 was going to be a a pretty pivotal day, which is next Friday. Mm -hmm. And I still think it could be pretty pivotal in terms of, okay, does the Mountain West just stick to their guns and tell San Diego State, hey, uh, that $17 million check or wire transfer better be in our bank account now. (laughs) Like, make your your move. And then also, how quickly does the Pac-12 wrap things up, and does that mean that they're once they're done immediately the week afterwards? All right, we're already we're, we're expanding. San Diego State, welcome on in. Like it feels like this could all kind of be dominoes that fall in very short succession. But you got to have one key, key piece of that, and that's the Pac-12 and their media rights still wrapped up. I mean, I've heard it both ways. I've heard that. The Pac-12. Could they, could they do it before? The okay. Pac-12 could invite these teams on before and then announce the media deal. Okay. Um, I've heard that they could also announce the media deal and then the ex- the expansion. I'm not sure which is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can see arguments either way. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this potentially plays out if it does in fact play out like that. Um, which I don't have any reason at the moment to believe it won't. Um, sure. Which is ultimately what I've been saying for months. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you, you make a good point there. <laughs> but uh, I, I just I haven't gone any information from anyone credible that makes me believe anything different at the moment um again always subject to change um (laughs) but but that's just kind of i've been hearing the same thing for months so i have to imagine this is all where it was ultimately supposed to go Mm -hmm. it's dragged out longer than i think a lot of us were expecting but but the story at least through the pac-12 has remained the same the entire time um but yeah, uh, t- t- we'll we'll see how the sequence of events fall out here. Um, what happens first? I do think I think we're getting to the finish line. I know that the Pac-12 has said don't hold us exactly to June thirtieth, but 
they, but it, they, they want to get it done. Yeah. But it, I, I think, I think, and it was interesting. It was John Wilner that brought up that July 21st is actually maybe the more important date because you have your media day. Oh, that's, and, and that's the thing about that. And you don't, well, yeah. you don't want to roll up to media day and be like, well, you know what? <laughs> oh, we've got absolutely nothing to show any of you. And guess what all the questions are going to yeah, be Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't I don't think the Pac-12 is going to want to do that. So so I do think something's going to get wrapped up before then. Um, June 30th is still a little interesting to watch mm-hmm. just just because maybe like some of the first pieces of the action might fall the the full wrap up though might be a little bit later than that. Uh, we'll see what happens. So the 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 related story to this, and you wrote about this on KSLSports.com, is that they have, speaking of the Pac-12, have hired a new chief financial officer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to butcher the name here. Is it Moraine Carrick? That's what I would <laughs> guess. Moraine, Moraine, I, I, I apologize. I think it's Moraine okay. would be my guess, but we'll find out maybe sometime. So obviously she's coming into the conference at a pretty pivotal time. We all know mm-hmm. that. And when you have the title of CFO, guess what? All the numbers run through you. Now, she does not start this position until August 9th. Mm-hmm. So in theory, that media rights deal is wrapped up, signed, still delivered by the time she takes over this job. But she's coming into a conference that you, you, right, you tag this right in the lead. After news broke in late January, the Pac-12 fired two executives due to an overpayment to the conference that they covered up. Uh, George Klyovkov announced the hiring of a new chief financial officer. She's got a position that she's got to come in and essentially reform a lot of how the Pac-12 had been operating. Now, I will also say this. That is all stuff that's in kind of in the past because you have a new commissioner. George Klyovkov has come mm-hmm. in. He seems to be operating in a much, I don't know how to say this, a, a much more, I don't, want to, I don't want to be like rude to, pre, he's just, he's operating in a way that. I think you can be rude to Larry Scott. Okay. Most people don't care. Well, it was an absolute bleep show. Yeah, it was a bleep show. <laughs> so. At least Klyovkov's not operating that way. Like He's just operating in a more upstanding way. That's probably the easiest way to say it. Yeah. I, I mean, if you go and you look at the Pac-12's press release on it, they went into a little more detail, which sure. I, I included a link to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's things like cleaning up spending habits and and trying to do things where, like, the travel's not so exorbitant, sure. and and some of that kind of needs to fly in a private jet, literally everywhere he goes. I was just kidding. And penthouse? No, yeah. you don't have to kid because it's all on record. You yeah. can you can find all that information about Larry Scott. It, it's all out there. Yeah. Um, this is not anything secretive or mm-hmm. unknown. So go ahead and blast away at that guy. <laughs> but but, gee, but but more to your point is that she's coming into a position where she's got to clean up a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like in her own, that, that house that she's going to step into, she's got to clean it up. Now, a lot of that's going to come out of the schools themselves having to pay that money back to get that $50 million or 60 or 70 whatever yeah, the whatever, number, whatever, it whatever is. that number ends up being, they're going to have to figure that out. But they said this, uh, Klyovkov, Moraine brings world-class financial expertise and experience to our CFO role, and we are looking forward to her principled leadership in supporting the continu- continued growth of the Pac-12 conference. She does have an interesting job here because these schools, a lot of them are looking at what the SEC, the Big Ten are getting and saying, oh, crap, how are we going to keep up with that? Mm-hmm. 
Well, her job is going to be at the conference level to help come up with new innovative ways to generate revenue. She'll obviously be proposing ideas saying, hey, what do you guys think about this? Should we do something that should pivot here? And it's going to be interesting to see how much headway she can make individually because you have to get with these school presidents and say, okay, here's an idea. What do you guys think? A lot of them don't have necessarily athletic backgrounds. They understand athletics at a level, but most of them are academics. Yep. They've stepped into those roles from the academic side of things. They are looking at budgets that come from multiple pots, most notably grants that come via research and all that different stuff. The athletics arm of it may not come as naturally to them. She, in theory, should be able to come in and lay out, okay, so I'm going to use Taylor Randall as an example. President Randall, here's we have, we have an idea for this for the conference, and it would involve Utah doing X, Y, and Z. Taylor Randall, to me, he's a business guy. Mm-hmm. He knows numbers. Yeah. He, athletics, he seems to be more in the know than most. That's mm-hmm. just my outside perception of him. I, I would agree. He's going to be able to look at it and say, okay, yeah, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. And that's her job now is to go and try and find new innovative ways to generate revenue. Is it going to be tens of millions of dollars in revenue? No, most most likely not. But she she has an interesting opportunity here to come in essentially clean house and start new. And I think the outside perception from on my part, I think these Pac-12 presidents got to be thinking and say, okay, let's just you know clean slate and let's see what see see what she's capable of doing for us. Well, and I think that's pretty much been the story of George Larry Scott stepping yeah. down and George Klyovkov taking over. Like, I know people are quick to, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> but I mean, you have to understand there's a, probably a lot of skeletons in the closet from yeah. what Larry Scott did. And so unfortunately that does fall on Klyovkov and he's, uh, there might be a surprise or two more, like, sure. just be ready for that Pac-12 fans. Uh, but, but that that's kind of the whole point is i think kleovkov's actions have shown he's here to try and clean it up and right the boat mm-hmm. um moraine carrick if you look at her credentials she spent time uh i believe seven years as the united states olympic and paralympic committee cfo so right. you know she's not some dumb dumb off the street that's never done this before like yes. she's done it at a very high level and so there's a reason and i don't think if there wasn't a future for the Pac-12, I doubt someone like her would be all on board getting involved. Yeah. Um, so so there's some interesting things going on. And again, I think it all kind of layers and plays into each other. Uh, obviously, there's still more work yet to be done in order, I think, to get the Pac-12 on the right track. Sure. But to me, at least looking at it, in the here and now, for now, it seems like some of the right steps are being taken, even if that has meant that some some things that feel backwards, aka, you know, this this story about this this money mm-hmm. that that came to the Pac twelve and was covered up, like like they were upfront, they were honest about, hey, we discovered this and it's going to be a problem for us. We got to fix this. You know, it wasn't a, oh, wow, this has been covered up. Let's cover it up again. <laughs> sure. Well, okay. And that's the thing about this. Her background, so she worked at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee over a period of 17 years, including, you mentioned, she's the CFO since 2016. Before that, though, managing, managing director of audit and controller. 
She knows. Yeah. Oh, she knows best how to practices. do all this stuff. And it says you mentioned in the release. It says that her part of her goal ensuring best in class standards in financial control, audit practices, and financial reporting. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be more, at least in theory, they're going to be more upfront about okay, this is how much we brought in. This is where it went, and just making sure that you can see it's clear that okay, rather than yes. Um. So Larry, we found this. You know accounting error that's going to cost us tens of millions of dollars and there's a just let it go just let it go see and so it's going to be interesting to see how the pac-12 operates with this and how much it does whether it's san diego state coming in it's smu coming in how you integrate those new schools potentially in while at the same time navigating the financial headwinds that these other schools that are already in the conference are looking at saying like, okay, we're tens of millions behind the SEC and the Big Ten over there. Mm -hmm. How can we help make up that deficit? And she's got an interesting opportunity here to come in and say, okay, here's a few things we tried at the Olympic and Paralympic level, and let's see if that can help translate translate a little bit. Yeah, and give, give us an opportunity to maybe make up a little bit of that gap. Like I said, I'm not expecting her to come in and generate tens of millions of dollars out of nothing. But anything she can do, I think would be welcome at the Pac-12 level. Yeah, it's it's all about cleanup. It's it's all about cleanup, and that and I think that's probably going to be the biggest make or break for G- George Klyovkov's time as Pac-12 mm-hmm. commissioner is how well does he clean up what Larry Scott left behind. Uh, unfortunately, and a lot of a lot of his legacy, no matter how long it may last, obviously will be. How how he did obviously clean working and I think he's done he's off to a decent start but there's still a long yeah, there, long way to go. There's a lot to work to work through yeah. I think. Um, but that that's a story for another day once we have <laughs> have more of that information. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, we will come back on the other side. We'll get to five minutes of uh, talk about some of the other topics we have not had a chance to uh, dive into yet. Uh, sixty and sixty rolls on RSL in action tonight. We have plenty more to come right here on the Saturday show. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Jake and Michelle breaking things down on this Saturday morning. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. All right, time for five minutes of covering some of the other topics we have not had a chance to discuss quite yet on today's show. And, Michelle, let's start off with this. Uh, The 1660 rolls on. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, Hans and Scotty doing a great job getting us ready for the college football season, and they're kind of going through uh, the top 60 players in the the state. And... uh, we have now, let's see, we've got 11 selections now, I think, overall. Uh, and it's interesting like, composition of different players. Yeah, uh, We started with Atunai Samahe, then Anthony Switzer from USU, Waylon Lapuaho from BYU, Winston Reed from Weber State, Jaron Kump from Utah, the first Ute to enter the rankings here, uh, Max Alford from Utah State, Robert Briggs from Utah State, Michael Anyawan. Anyawu, I can't say his last name. I, I'm, I'm butcher it. Regardless, apologies. Uh, from Utah State, Michael Mokofisi from Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, MJ Tafisi back at Utah State. A lot of Aggies early on in this. Uh, Chris Curry from Utah. And then our most recent one, Abraham Williams, a cornerback from Weber State. Are any of them in particular of note to you? I guess the Utes maybe more so than others for you. Yeah, at this, at this point, and to be honest, the, the two um, – the two Utes that came up this past week, mm-hmm. Michael Mokafisi and Chris Curry, I think are particularly interesting. Sure. Uh, Mokafisi 
is a kid that within the last year, I've, I've heard his name come up in conversation quite a bit. Uh, I think they're really excited about the potential he has on the offensive line. Obviously, if you're just a general football fan here in the state, Mocha Fisi's a last name that say, you're very, very familiar it's with. It's going to draw you in just with the last name, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I'm hearing a lot of great things about him, and it sounds like he's very young in his career still. Yeah. Um, last year, he played actually quite a bit on the line as a freshman. Uh, he's a sophomore. Out of necessity in many ways, yeah. Out of necessity, and he did fine. Yeah. That, that's the thing. He did great. Um, so coming into his sophomore year, there's a lot of optimism there. And then you look at a guy like Chris Curry. I mean, he was kind of on the verge, I think, of doing something special last year until he had that horrific injury. Uh, It's going to be – there are a lot of guys in that running back room. Uh, But I think there's some interesting potential there. I've talked a little bit with people. I don't know. I don't know if Andy Ludwig's thinking about this. Let me whisper in your ear, Andy Ludwig. I would really love to see Jaquindon Jackson and Chris Curry out in a two-back set. I just think that would be phenomenally fun. Uh, sure. And the thing about this, uh, Curry, for me, I was going to bring him up. He has been so tantalizing with the small glimpses we've got of him mm-hmm. at Utah. It's like, ooh, ooh. Like, he makes you think, hey, he might have something here. Like, he might. It, but then it's just been it's been injuries. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think his first year here, he had to— he, I think he was struggling to adapt a little sure. bit. Yeah, and um, so so he kind of needed the time on the bench. I know he didn't love that, mm-hmm. um, but he figured it out. And like I said, he kind of was earning a role and looked looked like he was really on the verge of doing something last year. And unfortunately, that injury came up. Running back is not. Not an area of need for Utah. It's sure. an embarrassment of riches, and yeah. I think Curry fits into that. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how they manage all the guys they have. Like I said, I just love the idea of having Curry and Jackson out at the same time. They're both bigger guys. Sure. Um, I think you could just do some really interesting stuff there. Well, and you're right. Absolutely. It would make, it would make I think, for a very fun uh, just – Especially like goal line situations. Sure, yeah. Um, Just it brings in a big package that mm-hmm. opposing teams are like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> like the idea of trying to defend both of them, it gives you multiple options. Well, and especially with, I mean, Jackson showed some nice hands in the spring game. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that he could maybe catch the ball as well as he was. So I, I don't know about Chris because I don't think we've ever seen anything from Chris in that regard sure. yet. Uh, but there, yeah, there, I, 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 there's some intrigue there for me. It, it'll be interesting. The other name I wanted to bring up is MJ Tafisi. Mm-hmm. He feels like the one dude who's left on the Utah State defense from last year's defense. It feels like everybody else around him essentially either graduated or transferred out of the program. He's got a big opportunity up at Utah State. He's a transfer in from Washington. He played here in high school, went to UW, came back. And I remember a lot of people were like, well, how much can he really prove? He hadn't done anything at UW. Well, he proved to be a pretty solid linebacker, and I think this year might be his coming out party. He might finally get, and he's going to get a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Like like I said, I think 10 of their 11 starters on last year's oh, defense wow. either Gone. graduated or transferred out. A.J. Vong Pachon down to BYU. Right. Just, so it opens up a big door for like MJ. I'm just interested to see how he, how he responds because he's going to have a whole new cast of characters around him. I mean, someone's got to be the leader, right? Yeah. And 
Why not you? Sure. All right, a couple other things we need to talk about. Uh, RSL in action tonight. Uh, they are coming off a pretty impressive 3-1 win Wednesday night, Michelle. Uh, St. Louis is a debut club that has been absolutely on fire uh, since the start of the season. They actually came to uh, Sandy, this goes back a couple of months, and they absolutely just crushed RSL. It was 0-0 at halftime, ended up 4 nothing for St. Louis in the end. They, they absolutely smoked uh, RSL, but RSL returned the favor out there in St. Louis Wednesday night, uh, going out and getting a brace from Demir Krylock, his first in MLS action uh, since 2021. Also got uh, Diego Luna, the, the young star who played for the U-20 national team at the World Cup. Uh, he got his first career goal uh, for RSL, and they ran away with a 3-1 win. And uh, The funny thing about this is RSL is unbeaten in nine straight on the road, Michelle, across all competitions. That includes U.S. Open Cup and MLS action. They've not been beaten, and it's been months since okay. they've been beaten on the road. But their home form, like them playing at home, is a whole other story. They just... I don't know what it is about playing on the road. They're road warriors right now, and it has gotten them. They're now uh, three points out of second place. Like wow, they're form. And if if they were playing anywhere close to what they typically do at home, we're talking about a squad that potentially could be near or at the top of the standings in Major League Soccer in the Western Division. And then, oh by the way, there's this guy named Chicho Arango who hasn't even debuted for the club yeah, yet, and he's considered we're waiting be- on exactly. He's two weeks away, uh, July eighth. There's a home match against Orlando City. Uh, that he figures that'll be his first action for Real Salt Lake. They're flying right now, and adding him to the mix seems to make an even more potent lineup. And suddenly, what was once apathy and lamenting and really generally unhappy thoughts about RSL early on this season has kind of turned itself to, I think, I'd call it cautious optimism right now for this squad. Well, it's so interesting. I don't know if soccer's different. I can't imagine that it would be, but most sports... Like, it's hard to win on the road. And Major League Soccer, okay, here's the thing. Major League Soccer is very much that way. Uh, For years, the whole adage was three points at home, one point on the road. And if if that, so essentially you got draws on the road in Major League Soccer, you were going to find yourself probably top half of your conference and and a pretty good playoff seed. Well, RSL, they just refuse to die on the road. They keep winning. And that's the thing about this. It's kept them afloat, especially considering the fact that they're playing at home where they typically, in their history, RSL has made hay at home. Mm Mm-hmm. They're struggling right now. And what we're going to see tonight, they play Minnesota United here at uh, America First Field. I will be on uh, part of the pre-half and post-game show starting at 6.30 here on The Zone. But they need to translate a little bit what they're doing on the road and bring it home. Because if they do that, they very well could be near the top of the Western Conference very quickly. I think they just need to go back to being the, the Rio Tinto Stadium. It needs to be the riot. Well, that call, was just so perfect. Yeah, they still call it the riot. It's the it's it's still called the riot. They're never getting rid of that because of the the song. The song. But Rio Tinto doesn't no longer has the naming rights. It's now America First Field. It's, right. Like, essentially, they're calling. I think they call it like the riot at AFF or something like that. Fascinating. But, I I don't know. I I think that's the magic sauce though. I think that's why <laughs> why it's changed. I don't know. That is just fascinating to me. I I wonder. I wonder what the stumble is at home. That's that it. Are there any sports psychologists out there? Like, can you break this down for me? Where's Riley Jensen when we need him? <laughs> no, but it's it's interesting just to see uh, where things are going to go because they could very well could all of a sudden flip it on its head and start oh, winning no at home, and all of a sudden they go back to being middling on the road. But they're the best road team in Major League Soccer right now. They have the best record. They have the most wins. Like they they're rocking and rolling, and. I think it's going to come around at some point. It just feels like that for them in terms of their home form. And like I said, it could happen as soon as tonight. 
against Minnesota United. But it feels like what was a squad that had so many question marks at the start of the season, especially when it came to we need, they needed a forward, which they just got in Chicho Arango. They have found options, by the way, uh, on the roster that were already there. It feels like this squad has suddenly become, okay, what can they really do? They've completely flipped the narrative about themselves in about a month and a half's time. Well, I mean, here here's to maybe a change or two more, just just to get the home the home <laughs> record on on track. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, um, okay, Michelle, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the NFL. Have you seen okay. the the little budding rivalry going on between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals? Uh uh-uh. so. <laughs> Uh, Jamar Chase uh, stu- stood uh, uh, was stumping for his guy in Joe Burrow, obviously, his quarterback there in Cincinnati. Uh, the wide receiver, this goes back almost a month now, was on, I think it was a podcast maybe? And he said, like, essentially, the, the, he said he made a comment about Pat who, speaking of Patrick Mahomes. Just a little bit of some shade being thrown at Patrick Mahomes, obviously. And they had this rivalry going on. Okay. Uh, and Travis Kelsey has his podcast with his brother, which – if you listen to have you listened to their podcast? I haven't. The, I bet that's entertaining. I've checked it out every so often. It's called the New Heights podcast. They're absolutely hilarious. <laughs> they're they 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 they're, they're two brothers just bantering. That's yeah. what that's what and it, you say there's an explicit label on it for a reason. Uh, but uh, this football. week this week he said that uh, so Travis Kelsey said he understands why Jamar Chase is wanting to stick up for Joe Burrow, but then he adds this: he better be ready to back up his quote bold talk. He's not wrong about this. I mean, who has the rings? Because uh, it's not Joe Burrow. And, and I don't mean any shade. Because and Jamar I think, Chase doesn't have him either. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Joe Burrow has a lot of potential there to, to get some rings. But at, at the moment, the only one that can, can and should be talking smack is really Pat Mahomes. Well, and he said, and here's the thing about this. We don't get a lot of these rivalries in the NFL. Like we had one, the Niners and the Seahawks had a good one for a while there with Richard Sherman talking his crap mm-hmm. on one side and the Niners responding. I'm actually in favor of stuff like this in the NFL. It juices up. Oh, I love it. it it's fun. Like, I, I mean, yeah, talk your stuff. Yeah. I, but just understand like if you're talking your stuff and you don't have a leg to stand on. Uh-huh. Yeah, so and so Travis says this on the podcast. Quote, I thought it was a little bold. Mahomes is a two-time league MVP, two-time Super Bowl MVP. To say Pat who is like, I don't know. Jason Kelsey then responded, who plays for the Eagles. He thought it was, quote, a little disrespectful. Obviously, we all know that Mahomes didn't like this. I don't know if you saw they had their Super Bowl ring ceremony. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes, it was actually really funny. I'll show you the picture right here. You see this? It's him holding up his two rings. And then he says this, that's who. <laughs> like Mahomes is handling it the right way, but then this, this is the last part I want to talk about. This is what the Kelsey side of things says. "Quote: It is what it is, dog. Who doesn't love some good locker room banner, man? Shout out to Jamar Chase for holding it down for his QB, but don't you ever disrespect Pat Mahomes now. If you want to talk your bleep, talk your bleep, pimp. Just better back it up." Unquote. <laughs> uh, I I mean I I. Hear nothing wrong with that with that last sentence. If and you want to talk true. your bleep, talk your bleep, pimp. Just I, I I love I love that he brought the word pimp out. Uh, that, that, the, the, the pimp was like the, 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 the cherry the, on top, the coup de gras of all. <laughs> but it's fun to have stuff like this in the NFL because it, far too often it's become too corporate in a way where it's just like okay, great. to have these two teams literally chirping back and forth in mm-hmm. the off season. 
it's going to set up for a really, really fun regular season head should they ultimately get to where we think they're both going to go, where it potentially could be they're playing for Super Bowl berth in the AFC title game. Now, the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen over there are like, hey, yeah. hey, we're, we're here too. We're good too. Yeah. Don't forget about us, guys. We, oh, I, that brings up, we should talk about this really briefly. Okay. Uh, Dalton Kincaid making some noise. Yes. At, uh, and got, okay, are we surprised though? No, we're not surprised. But I thought it was really interesting and cool uh, that, I mean, NFL legend. Oh, oh my sure. gosh. Why am I blanking on his name now? That's embarrassing. Uh, I, I, I'm not following exactly where you're going, so I apologize. Okay, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I wrote about this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I, I got, I'm like, there's, I NFL know. legend is real nebulous of no. a term. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this I, is... While you look that up, can I insert also one Go other guy it. locally? Puka yeah. Nakua. Yes. Uh, so Puka's been down with the Los Angeles Rams. And when you have your head coach, the best receiver on your roster, both talking you up saying that you're going to be a part of the team this year. I think Puka has uh, achieved all that we expected him to. He was a fifth-round pick, and I, I remember some people out there saying, well, how could he? He's only a fifth-round pick. What's he really going to do? I'm like, anybody who's watched Puka play from his high school days to his college days, you never count that kid out. Is he the fastest? Is he the biggest? Is he, the, the, like the, is he going to be elite in any one skill? It doesn't seem like it, but what he is, Michelle, is super, super effective. He knows who he is as a player. The Rams love him. That's always the key. And it's similar to the Kincaid situation. They've shown up in in OTAs and these rookie minicamps. Those two players in particular, those are the two that have been most noteworthy to me because I've seen the most written and Mm -hmm. talked about. Yeah, I would agree. It's good to see them both standing out because that means that if they're standing out right now, you're going to see them this fall. Yes. Uh, Von Miller. Oh, it's Von. Okay. Von Miller. Yeah, I, okay. I this, do remember this now this that you mentioned it. Dalton Kincaid kid's insane. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> you're, you're telling all of us something that hey, you Vaughn, know we already know. There's a certain game against USC that you may want to turn on and watch. Yeah. Um, check, check it out. Yeah. Hey, well, you won't be disappointed. Well, and that, but that's it, it, it's nice to see this because yeah. you, when you're a first-round pick, you have a lot of expectation heaped upon your shoulders. It's kind of a different mm-hmm. situation for a Puka Nakua. Puka, when he was taken in the fifth round, people are thinking, okay, he comes in, he, he's a backup, blah, 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 blah. We'll see how he does. There's On the, the practice squad. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the expectation is that, okay, you're going to be a decent player, but you may not be your one contributor. Puka is overachieved. He He's looking like he could be game one in the rotation, out there on the field with Cooper Cup, having Matthew Stafford toss him the football. Kincaid, on the other hand, he's thought to be a guy who's going to come in and revolutionize what they're doing on offense for Buffalo. They're expecting him to be Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. They they see what Kelsey has done to them the last two or three years, and they're like, you know what? Let's go and get us we, one of those. We need me one of them. And they went and got Dalton Kincaid, and Kincaid is that type of player. He is that type of player. But the question was, okay, can he live up to that hype? So far, so good, it sounds like. Bravo, rookies. Bravo. So... And, it's never a perfect science, and it's never going to be a perfect science. The draft, you're you're drafting on potential, and you're looking right. at past production to try and gauge what the future is. The nice part is, it looks like at least two guys have shown out. Um, one other note, real quick on the on the Tyler Algier front. I don't I don't know if you saw this on social media. I, I remember who tweeted it out. He actually had the best success against an eight man box in the entirety of the NFL last year. No kidding. Yeah. So that's impressive. Again, yeah. rookie. Yeah. So. It's fun to see them getting opportunities and showing out. It represents the state well. 
it's going to help Utah and BYU to have these guys doing their thing because guess what the coaches immediately do? They go on the recruiting trail saying, hey, you see that Dalton Kincaid over there? Yeah, he played for us. Why don't you come be him? Yeah. Uh, BYU. Puka Nakua, you see Puka right there? You, do you want to be that guy? Come yeah. play for us. Like, we'll give you that opportunity. It's going to be fun. Will it be every one of those guys are going to hit? No. no. And, and the other thing about this, you got to stay healthy. Uh, and with Puka, well, actually, no. Dalton no. had had some issues, too. Both uh, of them have had injury concerns. And the hope is, and I'm fingers crossed, knock on wood, like, yeah. I hope, Just I hope stay healthy, guys. Run. Stay yeah. healthy, guys. All right, we will come back on the other side. We will wrap up today's show with some final thoughts. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If I die young, bury me inside. Lay me down on a bed Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Jake Hatch, Michelle Bodkin wrapping things up on this Saturday. And uh, Michelle, are you a big fan of Adam Sandler movies? Uh, I haven't watched a whole ton of them, no. You've seen Happy Gilmore, I would imagine, though. Oh, Michelle. No, I don't Michelle. think I actually have. What? Oh, I'm disappointed. Jason, uh, he running the board. Have you seen Happy Gilmore? Uh, yes, yes, okay. I have. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, Adam Sandler, one of his uh, most famous roles playing the professional golfer that he mm-hmm. is. Well, I just saw this on social media. There's a kid by the name of Landon Gilmore who went on social media this week and said, I am very excited to announce I have committed to continue my academic and golf career at Ball State University. I am very grateful for the opportunity Coach Fleck has given me. I would like to thank my family, my coaches, and everybody who pushed me every single day. Well, this young man started playing golf at the age of six. His last name is Gilmore. Right. His nickname, all growing up, Happy Gilmore. (laughs) His Twitter handle, HappyGilmore underscore 44. Well, after this all came out, guess who takes the social media to congratulate Happy Gilmore on playing college golf? Adam Sandler. No kidding. Happy Gilmore himself, yes. That is incredible. Adam tagged it on social media and said, happy is happy for you, I think it was was something like that. (laughs) But that's the thing about this. This is actually a really cool story. Who knows if this kid actually ever makes it big or anything like that, but... It was kind of just a funny little gag. Like I, I, I love Adam Sandler. He's really become like this really cool dude on social media. Right. He still plays basketball all the time. You ever see him like on social media? He'll just show up at like some random park and start playing. He just loves. I it. have seen some like random clips of that. Yeah. But just, yeah. Anyways, it's seems just, like a very down to earth person considering the amount of success he's had in life. Oh yeah, and he he's been. Uh, all over the place. The thing about this is he, uh, so uh, this Landon Gilmore Happy, he recently is ranked uh, 497th in the Boys Sagarin Golf Week rankings. So he's down the list a little bit, but he's got an opportunity to play uh, college golf, which is something not a lot of people can say that they get the opportunity to do. And obviously I'm sure Adam Sandler, now that he's tagged him, I'm sure Happy's going to be tracking Happy. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I would think so. That that seems like something that would maybe happen from here on out. Well, the best part is I was reading this story. So it's it, this is from CBS Sports. It's pretty cool. The young golfer embraced the happy nickname and decided to keep it going by keep keep going by the iconic movie character. Perhaps Bob Barker could call one of his golf matches at Ball State and really bring the Happy Gilmore <laughs> scenario full circle. And they also added earlier in the article: Is Shooter McGavin going to show up suddenly at some point and start calling this guy? I, who knows it. It's just a fun little story that I think pops up every, from, from time to time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, again, I've never seen the movie. I, I know you, the, you, like, golf you, swing reference. You need, you need to change that, Michelle. It, it'll, it, it's worth seeing at least once. You've got to see it at least once. <laughs> at least what, once. Isn't the premise that, like, he's like a hockey player hockey that player. decides to play golf? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, and like. Heinz House, he has a preternatural ability to hit a golf ball an extremely long way. Okay, there you go. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, it, it's <laughs> it's slapstick comedy at its finest. It's it's consummate nineties. Let's just put it that way. Like, yeah, no you, doubt. Have you seen Billy Madison? No. Huh. I'm feeling very sad about Michelle's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bill- like very on record though. Like, I just don't watch a whole lot of movies. Uh, sure, but Michelle, we gotta get you some of these classics. You, <laughs> you need to see Grown Ups at least with Adam Sandler and Kevin James. Like, like David Spade. That one's a, that one's. A, Absolutely I hilarious think I did see the first one. Okay. I couldn't tell you anything about it, though. I don't remember right. it. <laughs> but no. I'm pretty sure I actually did see that it's one. It's have to be a new bit on, on the Saturday show. Is what movies has Michelle actually not seen? Oh, her... the list is very long. <laughs> All right, very, any final, very long. Any final thoughts from you as we go out the door here? Uh, just, I guess the one thing is mm-hmm. uh, look for our content this week oh, uh, yeah. up at the Ute Indian Reservation. Yes. That's uh, going to be... Incredible. You're going out to it, I would mm-hmm. imagine. So they're having the camp, and this is a really cool. We had Hank Mondock on last week to talk about it. I, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. He's got a really cool overarching goal for all this. He just wants to give these kids hope. Mm-hmm. And that that can be hard to come by. Yeah. Especially on the reservations. Some He talked about it. He's like, they out of Pine Ridge, he's like, these, they got their parents telling them, hey, just, just give up. Yeah. That's difficult. Like that, uh, That's gnarly. And again... Pine Ridge is a very, very different, sure. but like there, there still is a bit of that there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just the overarching, I think, trying to make that connection with the University of Utah, the University of Utah Athletics, you know, when you're representing a people, it's sometimes mm-hmm. very important to understand exactly who that is because sure. you interact with them. Yeah. No so it's, it should be a cool story. I'm really looking forward to getting up there. Uh, and yeah, have just, have fun out in the basin. Oh, I will. Right. I intend to, sir. <laughs> hey, I I've got a fam. I've got I married into a family who's got connections out there in the basin. So I, you'll you'll have a good time. Uh, yeah. There's been some talks. Have you ever seen like the Skinwalker Ranch? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's been some talks about like going and touring that. So. You have fun with that. I'm I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> All right. I don't mess with that crap. I'm, that stuff's not, not 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 my cup of tea. I, I look for if you do it, I want your report next week on the podcast. Oh, 1,000%. Okay, all right. 1,000%. All right, we will do it. All right. <laughs> for Michelle, I'm Jake, Jason, and Sarah producing for us behind the glass. Hope you all are doing uh, great out there, and thank you again for tuning in. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. 
and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.